read together now part of from the second book of Kings and chapter 5. Two Kings, chapter 5. Let us hear the word of God. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honourable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valour, for he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord will admit the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mightest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had led, read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore I consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. It was so, when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore rentest thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, that I may not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. 
And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? And he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he, that's Elisha, Elisha said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto the gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself to the house of women. When I bow myself in the house of women, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. But the Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, his Syrian, is not receiving of his hands that which he bore. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Uh, give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him, and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garment, laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, 
went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling unto thee and unto thy seed for ever. He went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. I'd like to direct your attention to that passage that we read. It's a wonderful history, a story of God's power and of God's distinguishing and sovereign grace. Now the man called Naaman, historical figure listed down in many a document of old times as well as in the scriptures. He lived about 850 BC, that's two and a half, 2,800 years ago. He was a Syrian, he was not a Hebrew. That's very significant in this part because he was a subject to, of God's free and sovereign grace. He was way, way away from truth. By birth he was brought up in a very good family, no doubt, and he was led to worship the gods of Syria, women, a powerful god, they all bowed down to him. And he rose up through the ranks, and he became a very great man in Syria, and he became uh, an army man, a military man. We read that he was captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a field marshal. We read that he was very well liked by his king because he was an honourable man. He was a man of integrity, of honesty, of fair dealing. But he was a heathen. He didn't know the true God. Now that's an interesting thing, isn't it, to begin with, that God in all the world governs the hearts of men and women and you can go to any tribe, any nation and you will find men that are honourable and honest in all nations, in all religious backgrounds, not just Christians who are honourable and honest for very different reasons to the heathen. So there was this man, an honourable man, um, because God, it's interesting, the Lord had given deliverance to Syria, the heathen nation. The man was a mighty man in valour. That means he could handle the sword and spear and shield. No doubt he was a horseman. He was a great man. Naaman, famous. But he was a leper. Now remember, Naaman was not a Hebrew. He didn't know as far as we can see anything about the true God because he worshipped women and yet God saved him God convinced him of the uniqueness of Jehovah no other gods we see that now this is not the only time in the Bible Old or New Testament 
where we see Almighty God working in other nations and among other people. Uh, for instance, Jethro, going way back in, Gen in the Exodus, priest of Midian, father-in-law to Moses. He was not Hebrew, but he came to the knowledge of Almighty God. What about Caleb, right? son of Jephia, the Kenizzite, which did become part of Judah, but not originally. So you've got these two men, about Rahab, the harlot, she certainly wasn't a, a Hebrew, she was a Canaanite, worship idols, and yet she was saved. She came to see that Jehovah was the true and living God. She put her trust in him. And Uriah, he was a Hittite. Job, an Arabian, greatest man of the East at that time. These are all instances of the sovereign working of God outside of the nation of Israel in various ways. And in the New Testament, you've got quite a number, uh, just a few. Cornelius, Roman centurion. Lydia, a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. The Greeks and Romans and proselytes. The Lord speaking to Ananias said, uh, to do with Paul, and this is the key to it, go thy way, for he, that's Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the apostle was sent out to preach the gospel to every creature. That's exactly what Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus had commissioned his apostles to do. David prophesied, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. Yes, there is an instance in the sense of there will be a, they will glorify God in judgment, but they shall glorify God in the salvation of an innumerable company of Gentiles. As I said this morning, none of us are Jews here, as far as I know. We're all Gentiles. But we have received the Gospel. The Gospel came to us, sometimes when we were quite young, perhaps when we were quite old. Um, how did the Gospel come to our country? To, to England, this island. Well, we don't know. There have been various guesses about the earliest uh, mention, as far as I know, of Christianity in England is at about 250 B.A.D. If you go down to Kent, to Lullingstone, there is a Roman villa, which dates from about 300 A.D. And in that villa is a place of Christian worship. They've got the, the row tri sign, which is a symbol, early symbol of Christianity. It probably came to England in the knapsack of a Roman soldier, because many of the soldiers, like the centurion, 
were converted, became Christians. In any way, the gospel came to our own land. And those of us that were born and brought up here, perhaps all of us here, we were taught the gospel, perhaps in Sunday school, in various ways. Perhaps when we were older, and the Lord has brought us into a place like this, where the word of God is preached. It's a remarkable thing that we are here at all. That God could have left us in darkness, could just leave us as we are. There would be no injustice in that. Well, so we see, if you look into the Acts of the Apostles, it's a very interesting list. There were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. Pardians and Medes, Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, that's all in the east. In Judea, in Cappadocia, that's up into Turkey, Pontus and Asia, that's coming a little bit more west. So you've got the east, you've got the west there. Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt, it's going south. In the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, going west again. Strangers of Rome, going further west. Jews and proselytes. Cretes, Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful words of God. So it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The whole world, Jews and proselytes, those that come to worship the true God, proselytes, they weren't Jews, but they followed Jehovah. They all came to Jerusalem at the Passover. From all over the world, all over the known world at that time, the Bible world. You see, God moves in the hearts of men in a remarkable way. He doesn't leave us, but he does use us. He used Paul and Peter and the other apostles to send out the gospel. So, as a church here, I'm, I know that with your pastor, you pray for the spreading of God's word into all the world. And you support, as see on there, things from the uh, TBS, from the Bible Spreading Union, just one man, Mr. Stephen Toms, sends out Bibles. But I know that several up in the Midlands who give out Bibles. There's a one man, quite an elderly man, and he goes into lorry uh, parks and gives out Bibles to the drivers. He goes into local cafes and he's got the gift of the gap. He's a Christian, he knows how to speak and he gives out Gospels. That's just one man. And there's dozens of them all over the country, you know. If we only knew the way in which God moves to individuals and as churches, and you know, during the COVID epidemic, it's dying out now, thankfully, um, Mr. Crowter, I don't know whether you know Mr. Crowter of the Trinitarian Bible Society, he may come here, speak on behalf of the society. He's got his house, and he had this idea, he, he got a box with a little cover, and he put Bibles there, and a notice, please take a Bible, free of charge. And Last I heard, about 250 Bibles were given out from this one man's front doorstep. 
and there have been others as well. So if you live on a road and you can put a box there with some Bibles on it, with a notice, that's a good idea, isn't it? If they get stolen or thrown away, that's well in the providence of God, but it's a way of spreading the word of God. So you see how God uses various means to make known his word. So back to this man, Naaman, captain of the house, the host of the king of Syria, great man with his master, honourable, mighty man, but he was a leper. And that, that must have limited him. Now you might say, well, how on earth could he be with his master if he was a leper? Well, in Israel, as you know, in the Exodus, in the Leviticus, in Numbers, there were very strict rules about a leper, how he should be separated from, and if there is a cure, he must go to the priest. But that was in Israel. Leprosy in other nations were treated differently. I mean, the, the laws in the Bible among the Hebrews were to teach them spiritual lessons. So in Syria, you might have a leprosy on your arm, on your face, but that didn't bar you from being a citizen and even being the king's commander, as Naaman was. Interesting that, isn't it? Because leprosy is held out in the scriptures as a type of our sin. Now, I don't know much about leprosy, but I'm told leprosy, like many diseases, gets into the whole bloodstream. And the, the pathogens, or whatever they are, spread throughout the Bible. And there are many diseases who that get into the body and absolutely ruin it, attack all the organs. So man dies. And that is a picture of sin. You see, in Adam, I, I know I'm telling you things that you probably know, but to be reminded forcibly, we fell, we fell in Adam. You sinned because Adam sinned. He was the representative of all men, all born of Adam, fell into sin because of his first sin, his disobedience, his rebellion against the command of God. Because he sinned, if you're born a human being, you're born with original sin. Uh, the Bible talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. That's another matter. But you're born with original sin and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no cure among men. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Sometimes the Bible refers to, Paul does, dead in trespasses and sins. And that's a very strong statement, isn't it? If you're dead, you're dead. And you can't get deader than dead. So it's no good coming to a corpse and saying, get up. Because it won't, it's dead, it can't. But the Lord Jesus can. He came to the tomb of Lazarus and called the dead to life. 
He raised that son of the widow of Nain. He raised Jairus' daughter. He alone can raise the dead to life again. And that is a wonderful picture of Christ working in the dead sinner's heart to give him a new birth, make him a new creature so that he can live to God. He can rise from spiritual death and serve and love his God. So poor Naaman was a leper, but still in the employer and in the good esteem of his king. There's another character here, a little maid. Now we can only guess how old she was. She wasn't 30, was she? She wasn't 20. I would think she was not more than about 15. Perhaps she was only 10 or 11, we don't know. But a little maid, a little girl, who was taken away captive and given as a, a maidservant to Naaman's household. Now that was a tremendous change, a very difficult thing. Taken away from your family, from your loved ones, and put into a strange household. Yet, as we look at her, we see this. She loved the Lord because she spoke about the prophet in Israel, prophet of the Lord. Even though she was taken away from her family and the great influences of the scriptures, she didn't forget her Lord. The Lord was with her. Another thing, she didn't bear any malice against her captives, against her mistress. In fact, we can read that rather than being surly and rebellious, this little maid was kind and thoughtful. Yes, perhaps Naaman's wife, and that's very likely, treated her kindly as well, looked after her. But the little maid, nameless, bore no malice against her mistress. And also, she had a heart of pity to her master, Naaman. It's very interesting, that, isn't it? Doesn't this show a Christian character or godly character? How we should behave even against our enemies. We should love our enemies. That doesn't mean we encourage them in their enmity or in their, their waywardness of God. But when we say we must love our enemies, what do we mean? Don't mean we love their ways. It means we would wish them well. We would wish that they were repentant and converted. That's loving your enemies. And behaving in such a way to commend the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. She pitied Naaman. I'm quite sure she must have met Naaman, of course, in the household. And she probably, well, she must have known he was a leper. And she pitied him. It's remarkable, isn't it? This little girl, nothing, she was nothing. She didn't have anything. She was dependent upon Naaman, his wife. Here's Naaman, the great, powerful, rich man, an honourable man, and yet the little girl 
pitied him. She wasn't jealous of his greatness, of his riches. She pitied him. That's a wonderful example for us, isn't it? As we go out into the world this week, to be compassionate towards those about us. Another thing. After this little incident, you hear nothing more about this maid. Nothing. Not even in the New Testament, when the Lord Jesus speaks about there were many lepers in, in um, Israel, only Naaman was here. The little maid is actually mentioned. They probably knew and remembered their history. What an encouragement then to us to live like this little maid, even among those that are aliens. So there was Naaman. Naaman's wife, good wife, she is to be commended. The king of Syria, Ben Hadad of Damascus, great man, very important man. He liked his officer in charge, Naaman, the king of Israel, Jehoram, son of Ahab, just like his father. And his, Ahab was the worst king of Israel that was ever, ever. He was a wicked man. And the, his son, Jehoram, was almost as bad. And the other character, Elisha, the prophet, the prophet of Jehovah. So they're the characters. The history is very familiar. The, no, the Naaman's got the leprosy. The maid has got the cure, or, or got the method. So she goes and does what she can. She tells the mistress, there's a prophet living in Israel. He can help to help the leper. So why did she do that? Well, I'm sure, probably first of all, just human pity. Just as a human being to another. A poor man having leprosy. If you can do anything, surely you will help. Yes. But there was a lot more to it. She wanted to bring honour to God. There is a prophet in Israel. He can, he can help. So, a bit of a mixture going on here. She tells the wife, Would to God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And then what happened? It almost got forgotten. And then one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Who is this Lord? The king. Somehow word got to the king of this little maid saying there's a prophet in Israel who can cure him. Well, the king of Israel, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, wanted this man to cure. One, because he liked him, and because he was a very useful member of his army. So the king of Syria wrote a letter. And who would he write the letter to? The king of Israel, Joram. So there is, I wonder 
remarkable little letter. I will send a letter unto the king of Syria. And he departed. So Naaman departed, took the letter, came to, came to the king of Israel. All very grand, very grand. He got the letter. And he nearly fell down dead. King of Israel has been told to, in effect, cure Naaman of his leprosy. Now this is about the only good thing Joram ever said that was true. He rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That's true. It's only God who can kill and make alive. That this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? He said, I can't do it. I'm not God. I can't cure a man. I can't make a man alive who's going to die. He, were, he thought the worst. He said, Ben Hagen is wants to pick a, cure, a quarrel with me so he can attack me. So he can undermine my authority. So this poor, foolish king, Joram, shook, scared. He seeks a quarrel against me. Well, it was quite, quite a stir. Because we read that I, Elisha, came to hear of what was going on. This, this miserable king of Israel scared out of his wits Elisha hears well this is what the psalmist said many years later put not your trust in princes nor in the son of man in whom there is no help his breath goeth forth he returneth to his earth and in that very day his thoughts perish happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So we read, Elisha says, not in a boastful way, but in sympathy, let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Very wonderful, isn't it? He could have said, let, let Naaman die. He's been attacking us. Let, let, him, let him get killed by God's judgment. He deserves it. But he didn't. We should never de desire the death of another man, the destruction of a man, or the hurt of another man. We're in the hands of God. He disposes and he wills for his wise purposes. There's a poem written by John Newton on this. I'll read it out. It's a strange end. Naaman, before Elijah's gate, the Syrian leper stood, but could not brook to wait. He deemed himself too good. He thought the prophet would attend, and not to him a message send. Have I this journey come? And will he not be seen? I were as well at home and would wash and make me clean. Why must I wash in Jordan's flood? Damascus rivers are as good. Thus by his foolish pride, 
He almost missed a cure. However, at length he tried and found the method sure. Soon as his pride was brought to yield, the leprosy was quickly healed. Leprous and proud as he, to Jesus thus I came, from sin to set me free. When first I heard his fame, surely, thought I, my pompous train of vows and tears will notice gain. My heart devised the way which I supposed he'd take, and when I found delay, was ready to go back. He had he some painful task enjoyed, enjoined, I to performance seemed inclined. By the grace of God, Naaman's pride was broken, his heart was broken, and he obeyed the simple instruction of the great prophet. Do you remember he said, I'm not going down the dirty old Jordan, I've got much better rivers in Damascus, in Syria, and they were, they were beautiful rivers in up Damascus, it's a lovely place. So he went off in a rage. His servants pitied him and said, do, do what they say. It's not going to hurt you. If he told you to climb a great big mountain, you'd have done it. Or do some great thing. Why not do this simple thing? And he was persuaded. Good old Naaman. We're pleased that his heart was changed. He went down. The one, the two, the three, four, five, six, seven times. That's obedience. And he came up and his flesh, unlike yours or mine, better than it went in. Like a little child's skin. It's all cured, all clean. It's a miracle. A miracle of grace. All Every spot of leprosy was cleansed. He was a new man. He could now appear before his public, not with perhaps a mask over his face or clothing to hide his scars, but a new man. He was changed. And he gave glory to God. He could see that there is only one God in all the earth. There's some great lessons here. For the Lord is patient and long-suffering towards his chosen, his elect. He's compassionate towards unbelievers. I know this because the, the Bible says, when he was speaking, Paul was speaking to the Ephesians about the various sins, such was some of you. You. You can't point the finger you cannot, because we're no better than any other man. Such were some of you. You see, in, as, because of our constitution, there are some people we find it hard to like. We just can't get on with them for various reasons. But that was never the case of the Lord Jesus. Yes, he rebuked the Pharisees and the scribes, but not to destroy them, 
to point them to the truth. And that's a great lesson for us, as well as this little girl, this maid, this, uh, this maid of Israel, like the Lord Jesus Christ, who she was seeking to follow. We should commend the gospel of Christ by our daily life, wherever we are. Do you remember the Lord Jesus taught and ate, according to the Pharisees, with the publicans and sinners? Publicans, they were traitors, considered traitors by most Jews. Sinners who disregarded the law, just lived their own life. But the Lord Jesus actually went to them and sat with them and spoke to them. I'll read just a bit out of Luke. You'll know the history of a woman which was a sinner. That means she was probably, we don't know, probably an immoral woman. Some have thought she was a prostitute. We don't know. This is what we read about this woman coming. Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee having a meal. And this woman comes in very quietly and comes up to the Lord Jesus and kneels down and does remarkable things. It comes out in this. The Lord Jesus turned to the woman, this woman that anointed the Lord's feet with tears, kissed his feet and wiped his feet dry with the hair of his head, her head. And the Pharisee said, shouldn't allow that, that's all wrong. If Jesus knew who she was, but Jesus knew exactly who she was and the state of her heart. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, very interesting, he, there's the woman, but he's speaking to Simon, or perhaps Simon's there. Simon, seest thou this woman? Look, look at her. I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water to wash my feet. But she had washed my feet with tears of repentance, tears of sorrow, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Now there must have been long hair, long, long hair. And some have suggested if she was a, an immoral woman, the hair would have been an allurement to men. But now it's given to a holy use to clean and dry the feet of the womb of the Lord Jesus. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. That woman's lips, given to immoral acts and lust, are now dedicated to kiss the feet of her Saviour. Thy head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet 
with ointment, a sweet-smelling ointment. Perhaps used in her illicit trying to allure men. The Lord knew all about her. He knew that she had come repentant. She, he said unto her, uh, <clears throat> to her, I say unto her, thy sins, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much the Lord, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. How much do you love the Lord? Have we been brought to see that you're no different to this woman or to any man or woman in all the world? But you've been brought to a state of penitence and sorrow for sin and you come to trust in that dear Redeemer. He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And this scripture is for us, for each one of us. That the Lord might say to you, repentant sinner, thy sins are forgiven. Truly and really. Not maybe, if you do your penance, if you pay the Pope, your sins are forgiven. Because Christ said so. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Yes, they didn't know about that. And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Can you do this this evening? Go in peace. Can you go to your grave in peace? You may die tonight, we don't know, any one of us. Do you know that in your own heart? You have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, just two things then. We should be submissive to the Word of God. I name it was to the Word of this little maid. Wherefore, where whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. She was great. She was top of the pile, we might say, in heaven. Because she humbled herself, this little girl. We should submit to our God, to his holy word, and to learn the lesson from the Saviour here. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Are you submissive to God's word? Do you have that humility imitating our Saviour? There's a little poem, I won't read it all, but one verse of John Bunyan. 
he that is down needs fear no fall. It's interesting, if you're on the floor, you can't fall any further. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his, his guide. Do you know that in your life? Submissive to God in all his dealings with us to be those that are humble in his sight. Doesn't mean we're like Uriah Heep in Dickens' novel, not miserable. It means we are sturdy and firm for the Lord's truth, but before men for Christ's sake, to show that humility that our Saviour did. Are you a Christian? Are you made a real believer through the Redeemer's righteousness and shed blood? Well, may God bless his word to us. Amen.